Hi, everybody. I am excited for, I'm always excited when we're diving into the Word of God. Um, and last week, I think I told you to buttle, bu buckle up, Buttercup, because <laughs> we're covering huge portions, books of Scripture in one week's time. Um, and then, you know, I just go and desperately lay out before the Lord and say, where do you want to go? Because all of it is amazing and incredible. And I want to spend time throughout every little piece. Um, but, you know, this last week we literally went through Zephaniah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Jeremiah, chapter 1 through 18. That's what we're kind of running through today. So uh, again, get your cup of coffee, uh, put your running shoes on, so to speak, um, and uh, come with me on this adventure um, through, through these books. And um, I just want to say, last Friday we had, you know, the watchman's call to prayer. Um, and, uh, you know, the health officials told us not to do it. Um, you know, and my family, just me, my husband, my three teenage kids went down and went to the Embarcadero and walked and prayed the prayer points out loud over our city, over our nation, even the world, and crying out to God to move and to act mightily on our behalf. Um, and I know that many of you were doing that in the various places that the Lord told you to go and pray. And so I'm excited for this next season and what God is going to do. We're going to find a lot of uh, really things that relate to exactly what we're going through right now. We're going to be looking at Jeremiah. We're going to be looking at Habakkuk and the word of the Lord that was given to that prophet. Um, and even kind of diving in a little bit to the rapture. Uh, because the Old Testament speaks of what's going on in the new. And we let scripture interpret scripture. Um, and we know that the prophets, even though they're thousands of years ago, they go and dive all the way even into the future for you and and I. So let's humble ourselves before the Lord and ask him to completely take over. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you for your living word. We ask right now, Lord God, as your children, Father, we, we pray that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We, we hallow your name. Your name is holy. We lift you high. Lord God, we exalt you. We exalt your word. We have chosen, Lord God, um, life. We have chosen you. We submit ourselves humbly at your feet, Lord God. Would you now by your Holy Spirit, who you promised to send to us, we are not orphans, but we cry out, Abba, and you literally, as our daddy, said you would send the comforter and you would, you would fill us with your spirit who would guide us and lead us into all truth. And Lord God, that's what we need you to do right now. Would you uh, open our hearts to receive the word that you have for us uh, in this moment right now? In Jesus' name, we ask all these things. Amen. All right. So Jeremiah, um, I just kind of want to start with the heart of God here. And he really like shows us this. He's known as the weeping prophet um, and he's God's ambassador. You know, as the prophet, remember, they spoke the things that the Holy Spirit would then direct them to, to see, to speak and then to write down. He is God's representative. And what Jeremiah as the weeping prophet demonstrates is God's own broken heart. 
as his own children turn away from him. He gives us this picture and, and the, the, we, we see and he teaches us that he is their father. He is your father, my father. And then his heart is broken as his own kids. Imagine your own children turning away from you, walking in rebellion away from you. And God is likening himself as our father. Um, in this story here, the Lord is revealing his nature. He is revealing his character. Um, and and uh, I want you, did you hear what I said? You and I can break the very heart of God. Um, and and we, we can break his heart by, by, by turning, breaking covenant with him, walking away from him. And he is this loving father that's reaching out. We're just going to kind of look at that in this first beginning part here. And, you know, I, as we're, we're going through the whole Bible, we're going through the whole counsel of God because the gospel is seen from the first verse in Genesis all the way till the last one in the book of Revelation. And so for us to understand and know this, God, we're going through all scripture. And one of the things that you need to do when you come to learn from the word of God, we normally... We come and all we want to know is, what are you speaking to me? What does this have to do with me? What about, and we're, we're focused this way. Um, and, and, you know, that's so much of the time, it's at the forefront of our mind when we come into these teachings. You know, what is this, you know, teaching me? But right here in this section, I want you to also ask, what is God telling us about himself? This needs to be something that you're also questioning as you're learning. Lord, what are you revealing about your nature, about your character, about what you are like? God is calling out to his people here in Jeremiah. Remember, he says, he's bringing them back and he's saying, remember your first love that you had for me. Remember that excitement that you had in our relationship about me where all you could think about all day long was me. You thought about me. Your day was filled with me. Your life was actually filled with joy. Your mouth was filled with praise about me. We walked together. We communed together. You actually made love songs about me and saying them to me. You wrote down little love notes for me about what I'm showing you, what I've done, the goodness as your father and the one who loves you with an everlasting love. You would write notes about it. You would remind yourself of these things. They were at the forefront of your mind. And the Lord is saying through Jeremiah, I remember those days. He's stirring it up in his people. He says, he goes, remember the day of your first love. God recalls it to Jerusalem. He says, and I quote, I remember thee in the kindness of thy youth, the love of that engagement when you went after me in the wilderness in a land that was not sown, when you were willing to follow me wherever I would lead. You held nothing back in your commitment and in your trust. You followed me and you would say, where do you want me to go today, Lord? Where are you leading me today? What do you want me to do? And the Lord was reminding his own children of the love that they had for him and that commitment of that first love. Israel was holiness to the Lord and the first fruits of its increase. And all that devour him shall offend, evil shall come upon them, thus saith the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord, 
O house of Jacob, all the families of the house of Israel, thus saith the Lord. Listen to the heart's cry here. He says, what iniquity did your fathers find in me? This is God speaking, that they have gone far from me and walked after emptiness and become empty. The Lord is pleading through his prophet Jeremiah, who is weeping, who is brokenhearted and demonstrating the broken heart of a father and his kids turning away from their first love that they had and saying, what have I done? What did I do for you to turn this way away from me and break in our relationship? There are some of you that are listening right now, and I do know and believe that the Lord is stirring your heart, and he's speaking these words through the prophet Isaiah from ancient times that are alive for you to hear and to start to allow the Holy Spirit even now where you just stop in this message and you say, Lord, it's speaking to me. I feel you in the words that are coming across the screen right now. You are even here present in this space, wherever you are. You feel the pull of God wooing you back to that first love. And what you need to do is just extend your hands and say, Father, forgive me for walking away from that first love. Holy Spirit, would you blow on those embers and burn them into a bright and a fervent heat and flame to come back to that first love in the mighty name of Jesus. But even as Jesus spoke, listen to the church at Ephesus. He says, what did I do? What did I do that would turn you away from me? I remember the love and the devotion that you used to have. How is it that you have turned he says, you followed after emptiness. And as you follow after emptiness, you yourself have become empty. They no longer say, where is the Lord who brought us up out of Egypt that led us through the wilderness and led us through the land of deserts and pits, through lands of drought and shadow of death, the land that no man passed through and where no man lived. And I brought you, this is the Lord, I brought you into a plentiful country to eat the fruit of it and the goodness thereof. But when you entered, you defiled my land and you made my heritage an abomination. The Lord continues, the priests weren't saying, where is the Lord? They weren't even calling out. They, 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 they were the ones that God said, you are to handle the law. And the Lord says, those who are to handle my law and my words that bring life, they don't even know me. They don't know me. The pastors also transgressed against me. And the prophets prophesied by Baal and walked after the things that do not profit. God speaks out against the priests and he says, you who handle the law, you don't even know me. You can hear God's heart breaking in these words. The prophets are actually prophesying by Baal. Even still, though, listen again, because we are going to get to the threshing floor. We're getting to the great day of the Lord. We're talking about the tribulation as it shows up uh, throughout the prophets. But you need to hear the heart of God over his people. Uh, he says, even still, though, I'm going to plead with you. Even after all of this heartbreak, after you continually turn away, after all that I have done, after I continually pursue you, he says, I will continue to. He says, wherefore, 
I will yet plead with you, saith the Lord, and with your children's children will I plead. So he's going to continue. Even Jeremiah will stay with the people as the Babylonians come. We'll get into Ezekiel. Ezekiel is actually taken captive. We've got Daniel, who's also there with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The Lord continually brought the prophets, even though the people would turn, would not want to hear the words of the Lord, and would actually even kill the prophets that the Lord would send. He continually pleads with them from generation to generation, even to you and me today. He says, for pass over the isles of Cyprus which meaning go to the West. Cyprus was basically considered the door to the West. He says, you know, Chittim, go to Cyprus and send them to Kedar. Kedar was the gateway to the East. So he's basically saying, go to the West, go to the East, go everywhere, go and consider diligently. And he says, and see if a thing has ever happened before. Has a nation changed their gods, which are not yet gods, he says, people don't do that. God is saying, even those that worship false gods, they don't just go and change their gods, go into other cultures. They hold on to them. They stay true and faithful to them. And, and those aren't even gods. Those are, those are demons. I am the one true living God. And you have done this to me. God says, but my people have changed their glory, their fellowship that they had with the one true living God, their father, for that which does not profit. And then he says, be astonished, O heavens. Angels, are you looking at what my own children are doing to me? Can you see my heart breaking over what they're doing? And yet I will continue to pursue them. I will continue to love them. I will continue to send my prophets that they, they kill at their own hand because they don't want to hear the words that I'm speaking to them to repent and to turn. He says, be astonished, O ye heavens, at this and be horribly afraid. Be very desolate, saith the Lord, for my people have committed two evils. First, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living water. The Lord teaches us things in the natural first so that we can understand things in the spirit realm. Corinthians tells us first in the natural, then in the spirit. Jesus said, I am the water of life. Without water, the human body can only survive for a very, very short period of time. Jesus said very boldly and loud and professed, if any man drinks of me, he will never thirst again. Jesus cried to those gathered at the Feast of Tabernacles, if any man thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. And he that drinks of the water that I give out of his belly will flow rivers of living water. God says they have forsaken me, the very fountain of living water, the very source head of, of life itself. And they have forsaken where life comes from. And this is what they have done in its stead. He says, instead, they have hewed out cisterns, which were these ancient holding tanks, basically, um, that they would carve out of the mountainside, out of the rocks, and it would uh, catch the water that would come from the hilltops when the rain would come because there was very, you know, it was a desert land, so they had to capture all the water, and so they would have it diverted into these cisterns. But, um, so they would hewn them out, and this is what the Lord is talking about. But that water that they would capture would lay stagnant in those caves, and he's comparing himself 
himself to the fountainhead, the very place where the water is coming from. The Lord says, and he is saying, they have forsaken me, the fountain, huh, that spring of living water, and instead hewned out cisterns, these, these cisterns, and the Lord, he goes on, they're broken. They're broken cisterns. They actually can't hold water. Man is religious. We are made to worship. The Lord gives us a choice from the very beginning. He says, you're made to live in community and relationship with me, me as your father and you as my children. And we walk in that first love and we commune together and the joy starts bubbling up from your innermost being. He says, but I give you a choice and we get to choose. And he says, you will worship, but you get to choose what you worship because love always has a choice. And he says, choose life or death, choose blessing or cursing. And so here man is religious and made to worship, he is actually made to believe, to actually walk in in faith. He's going to have faith in something. He has to believe in something. And when men forsake God, they find their own philosophies, their own concepts. They, they uh, devote themselves to, to these ideas of what purpose is, what life is, what design is all about. Um, and and they, they give faith to it. They, they, give, uh, they devote their lives to it. Every thought goes towards whatever those things are. Um, and, and those are man's own cisterns. Uh, you know, how to live, how to think. And what the Lord is telling us here is this emptiness and it cannot hold water. He's asking them and pleading with you and I to come back to our first love in this time right now. He's pleading with the world as he's shaking the world like we've never seen happen before. And it's all because he wants us to return to him, to our father, where the living water comes from. We have to remember, you guys, that when Israel broke their covenant, relationship with God, it brought consequences that come with it. It was very clearly stated. Deuteronomy, or sorry, Leviticus 26 told them, and lays it all out there. If they obeyed God and did not make these idols and carved images and kept his Sabbaths, which refers to so much more than just the seventh day, you know, where uh, the week where you rest. It refers to all the appointed feast uh, times that occurred during the year as well as the seventh year Sabbath for the land and also the Jubilee year. If they obeyed it, this would show then that they trusted the Lord, that they loved the Lord, that they knew that he was a good father and loved them back, that he was the life source, that they had faith in him and believed God and obeyed him. They would be blessed if they did this. They would get rain that was so needed in that desert climate. It was promised to them in God's word. That literally, the, the land would produce uh, and yield trees with fruit on them. It would be a land of peace. There would be no fear of enemies, no wild beasts. It goes into this detail to hurt them. Listen to this right here, the math of this. Five of them would chase a hundred and a hundred would put 10,000 to flight because that is who our God is. And when we walk in obedience to him, this is true for you and I today to claim and walk in. But... If they chose to break his laws and despise his statutes, it says that terror would be uh, appointed to them. There would be fever. There would be disease. There would be enemies ruling over them. 
It was prophesied if they did not obey, God would bring the land into desolation. He foretold it through the prophets continually over and over again for hundreds of years. He would scatter them and then the land would have its rest and enjoy its Sabbath because God's purposes do come to pass in fruition. What he says will happen for 400 years. And 90 years, you have the patience of God. For 490 years, they never let the land enjoy its Sabbath's rest. So now they would be held captive in Babylon for 70 years and allow the land to actually catch up on its rest, just as the Lord had commanded. Every seventh year, also the debts were to be erased and Hebrew servants were to be set free. This is how God had orchestrated the flow of life to go so that we would be living in that living water and that relationship with the loving Father. And we would be at peace in the land and at peace with man and at peace with the beast and all of these things if they chose to obey. The year before Nebuchadnezzar destroyed the temple, uh, the people's disobedience to this very command brought the judgment on them. So there is an appointed time where God says, and now the judgment comes. Now what I have told you will come to pass and I have been patient in bringing it to fruition, longing that you would repent and turn. The day has come. And one of the things that I want us to look at um, is this word, this winnowing, a winnowing fork, because it comes up in Jeremiah. We're going to see, and it goes, it comes into Jesus in the New Testament. It's actually seen that threshing comes into Habakkuk. So I just want you to keep that in mind as we go into this next little section here. Um, but uh, God said he would winnow them with a winnowing fork. So Jeremiah 15, 7 says, and I have winnowed them with a winnowing fork in the gates of the land. I am bereaved. I have destroyed my people. They did not turn back from their ways. Did you hear that God does not want to bring the judgment? He, his heart was upset that he had to even destroy his own people, but they had brought this upon themselves. They chose not to return to the Lord. Now I want you to come with me on a journey with uh, going to John the Baptist. And we fast forward in time. And he said, someone was coming after him who was mightier than he. He said, he, the one who comes after me, I baptize you with water, but he's going to come. And he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire, with fire. But then an interesting verse that most people don't tend to kind of like dwell on. We just stop right there. Matthew 3, verse 12 says, quote, this is speaking about Jesus. His winnowing shovel is in his hand and he will clean out his threshing floor and will gather his wheat into the storehouse, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. You can see how most people would want to stay in the verses just before that. Um, Jesus, though, listen, so we're going to see, we're going to let scripture interpret scripture here. And I just want to bring some things to your attention. And I want you to also know that this literally, what we're going to talk about right now, uh, it, it was brought to me by two different um, people, two different messages, two different sources. And when I saw that this came up in Jeremiah, the threshing floor and the winnowing and, and then Habakkuk, and we're going through this with the prophets, it's going to keep coming up. Um, I heard the Lord say specifically to bring this up and to bring it before you. So Jesus 
Not long after, you know, uh, those things were spoken by Jesus about that winnowing shovel, um, it says uh, he told a story and it was a parable. And this is how he would, he taught us spiritual things. Remember, first in the natural, then in the spirit. He sowed good seed, okay? This farmer, he sows good seed into his field. But an enemy came and sowed bad seed in the same field. So there were wheat, and in this story, it's the good seed. And then there's tares that were sown by the evil one, and those are the bad seeds. The seed is referring to, right here, two types of people. You have the wicked, and then you have the righteous. So the owner, he's caring about his field, he's looking after his wheat, and he says, wait for the harvest, okay? Wait for the harvest, and then take out the tares first, Take out the tares first and burn them. Then secondly, gather the wheat and put it into the barn of the owner. Now, why would he do this? If you wait until harvest time, the wheat and the tares are much easier to distinguish and separate. Now, put a spiritual lens, so go, go with me. I can't connect every dot to you, but I know that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you right now. The wheat would be heavier with its fruit. The fruit would actually bow the wheat and bow the wheat down, where the tares at the beginning look just like the wheat. At this point, because of the fruit at harvest time, the wheat's bowed over and the tare would be sticking straight up. So it'd be easy to distinguish and easy to separate. Now you remember with me, the Temple Mount in Jerusalem was initially a threshing floor. You've gone with me through the word of God and we remember David there and he bought that threshing floor where they would separate the wheat and the chaff. Remember that? And, and he purchases it and buys it. This is the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, originally a threshing floor. So the tares were to be reaped before the wheat was taken. Interesting. Now, if you want to turn with me in Luke chapter 17, verse 34 through 35. Uh, God's order and his sequence of events is what I'm trying to bring to you. Not our traditions or what we have thought or feel comfortable, but we're allowing the word of God to come and interpret itself right here. Because Jesus speaks of another parable and we're really familiar with this parable. It says two in a field and one will be taken and the other two left. You know, two will be grinding at a mill and one will be taken and the other one left. You know, um, I, it's an old song. It's like before I was even born, something in, you know, the 70s or something, you know, like the, that song, I wish they'd all been ready and like you've been left behind. And it was this horribly haunting song. And, you know, we've all just had that, you know, you, you grow up in the, in the church and, you know, you don't want to be left behind. And we have the left behind series and we have these movies and pictures of clothes just being puddled on the floor because the saints are gone and then the world is left to figure out where did they go and you know airplanes are crashing because the pilot was a Christian and so but here I want to tell you that you don't want to actually be the one who gets taken first in this because the disciples if you keep going they actually ask Jesus so we don't make we don't figure it out on our own he tells us where are they taken to Jesus answers the disciples so we know where they go. So he said, quote, to them in verse 37, where the dead body is, 
there also the vultures will be gathered. Another version says where the carcass is and the eagle or the vultures are gathered. This is where those first ones that are taken and snatched away go. So in this instance, we do not want to be the first to be taken. So here we see the wicked raptured or snatched away. And where do they go? The Lord tells us to where the dead bodies are, the carcass are, and where the vultures are. Uh, and, and you're saying, well, where is that? It's the battle of Armageddon. So again, in scripture, interpreting scripture, Revelation 19, verses 17 through 18. And I saw one angel standing in the sun and he cried out with a loud voice saying to all the birds that fly directly overhead, come, assemble for the great banquet of God in order that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of military tribunes and the flesh of powerful and the flesh of the horses and those seated on them and the flesh of all the people free and slave, great and small. So the Lord lets us know where this place is and, and the wicked are gathered together. Joel tells us in Joel 3, verses 1 through 2, he says, they're being gathered to this one place to be judged by the wrath of the Lamb. Now, we looked at this last week and we can't go into it, but there is a distinction between the wrath of the dragon um, and, and then the wrath of the Lamb, the Lamb of God, the wrath of God. And that you and I as believers, you need to know this scripture tells it very clearly. We are not appointed to wrath. You and I will not be appointed to the wrath of God. Jesus already took it upon himself. But the wrath of the dragon with that antichrist spirit where eventually we will have the antichrist on the scene, on the earth, literally with the, the devil himself filling him and, and working through him, uh, that antichrist spirit is already at work now. Uh, we have more believers around the world that are being martyred for their faith than at any other time in history. And that includes the Colosseum where they would be you know, given to, to the beasts and the animals as the Romans would watch. And Nero would light them on fire and ride through his you know, gardens naked in his chariot as the Christians burn, and those were the candles for him. This time, right now, the Antichrist spirit, that wrath of the dragon, we're, we're, it's building to that place. And it, it, there's a separation here. The, the believers, so where are they gathered to? It's, it's in the valley of Jehoshaphat. The believers represented by the wheat they're also raptured. We know that they're snatched up, that we who are in Christ Jesus, we're gathered to the Lord because he says we who are alive will meet him in the air. Um, now, I, I just want to present that to you because we've got a lot of things that are going on right now. And, and I know that I heard, I was sent a message this week where um, you've got to listen to this message and it's an amazing pastor and I love what he said uh, and agreed, but he said emphatically that the rapture of the church would take place before any of the seven-year tribulation period. And I do not believe that that is uh, clearly stated in scripture. And so, there is going to be a great deception in the end times where people will say, well, this can't be on the face of the planet now because we're still here. I'm not going to see the Antichrist with my own eyes because I am still here and I am a believer and the rapture of the church hasn't happened yet. So I want to bring these scriptures to you. We're going to keep peppering and folding them in as the scriptures and the prophets keep leading us into this place uh, uh, as we go through the word of God. But I had to do that in obedience because we do not want to be deceived. We will not be in fear. We will be people who live by it is written. We will let scripture interpret scripture and we will, will, will not be led astray. 
Nothing should surprise the children of God. He tells us everything clearly and he's going to keep unfolding these things because these are the things that we are to open up like Daniel talked about. This is for a later generation, a later time. They're going to understand this, Daniel. It's not for you when he gave them the prophecies of the end times. And so that's our generation. God's going to keep giving us more and more light so we don't need to be afraid. We don't need to fear. But I want us to end with Habakkuk. We read that also this week. And the prophet is speaking of the spiritual decline in the land. And he's also knowing that the impending Babylonians are going to come and how God was going to use the Babylonians to actually discipline his own kids. It starts with a cry out to the Lord. And he says, this is Habakkuk and the burden that he had. And he's crying out to God. He says, how long shall I cry and you don't hear? Even cry out unto you, he says, listen, of the violence and you do not save. You do show me iniquity. You cause me to behold the grievances for the spoiling and violence are before me. And there are those who rise up strife and contention. Therefore, the law is slack and judgment never goes forth for the wicked encompass the righteous. Therefore, wrong judgment proceeds. So he's literally, Habakkuk, the prophet of God, is complaining to God because he says, look at this deterioration of the land. And, and, and it seems like, God, you're doing nothing. Do you not see the evil that is happening? You know, uh, God, where, where are you? Why aren't you listening when I cry out to you? Why aren't you doing anything about all these injustices that are taking place and all of the, the, the evil prevails no righteous judgment in the land is what Habakkuk is saying. And I know that some of you out there who are sensitive to the things of the spirit are not just wanting to stay home at this time of quarantine and play Yahtzee with your family. You are feeling the burden of what is happening on the planet. It's a bigger view, a bigger vision of what's happening. You know the prophecies about the end times. You're starting to see the pieces come into place. We start hearing about a Bill Gates and, and the, the fudging of numbers and you know uh, misuse of, of information, lies being spread at top level government officials, laws being broken, injustice in the land, vaccines that are mandatory and mandatory medicine and all these kinds of things. And you might be on this side or you might be on this side of this. Wearing masks, don't wear masks, they're bad for you. I don't know, but you're feeling all of these things and we can kind of start to relate to Habakkuk here. So I want you to know too, the gospel of Luke, know this if you're feeling that, the gospel of Luke describes the generation that will see the return of the Messiah as being just like the days of Noah and Lot. God told Noah two times the flood was coming because of the earth being filled with violence. And so if you are seeing this and you are feeling this, know that this day of the Lord is soon coming and you're right to feel these things. You're right to see these things and start putting these pieces together. Habakkuk is calling out to God. He says, there's no change. The violence, I'm crying out God and you're not listening, you're not answering. And God quickly responds because Habakkuk was close to the Lord as it even goes in what his name means. They, they had a beautiful close relationship and God responds and says, I am am doing something Habakkuk. I am doing a work in your day. And for those of you who feel like, Lord, where are you? What are you doing? Where are you? Like, what, what's happening? He's speaking to you and to me and settling our hearts right now. He's letting us know, I am doing a work in your day. And if I told you, you wouldn't 
believe me. You wouldn't believe me. God tells the prophet he was going to raise up the Chaldeans, terrible and dreadful people. That, that's in the scriptures describing them. He says, I'm gathering the Babylonians to come and to conquer over Judah, the very people that you're talking about, where there's no justice in the land. They've turned away from me. And you think I'm doing nothing. I've stirred up the hearts of the Chaldeans to come and bring actually, uh, you know, to my own house judgment on them. Habakkuk couldn't believe it. He said, you're right. I don't understand. And this again, Isaiah, his ways are higher than ours. We can't attain up to his thoughts. And so that's where we go, Lord, you speak and then you tell us what it looks like. We need to be renewed in our mind and transformed by the word of God. It, 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 he, his ways are not our ways. And so Habakkuk goes, I can't believe it. Lord, we are bad, but they are worse than us. And you are going to use the Babylonians to come and bring judgment to your own kids? And he's comparing the two and he says, it's not fair. It's not right. I can't believe it. You're right. I don't believe what you're saying. This is blowing my mind. And then, you know, what I want to say is for some of us who aren't only, you know, spending, um, you know, glorious time and quarantine, uh, day 64, I think, uh, you know, it, it, you're, you're allowing the Holy Spirit to come and there's, there's a, a burning away of the things, the idols of this world. They're popping up to the surface. You're starting to see what they are. You're getting rid of them. You're coming back to your first love. You're listening. You're hearing. You were on your knees on Friday, wherever you were. You are wanting to be one of the watchmen. Um, and judgment always starts in the house of the Lord first. So God wants to bring a revival in the church where there has been complacency and apathy. And when we do get to meet again, watch the fire that comes from those who are yearning to be in the courts like David talked about. I long to be in your courts. And we're going to come and we're going to join together because we're not supposed to do it this way. We're supposed to do it face to face with each other together as the living body of Christ. And that day will come again. So he says, Lord, again, we're bad, but they're worse. So Habakkuk goes to his watchtower and he waits. It's kind of like, oh, I might have said too much before the Lord. He goes to his watchtower for the Lord to respond. And God does respond. He tells his prophet, write the vision, make it plain on tablets that he may run that reads it. And I like this one distinction, not that he may run away from what is written on the tablets, but that he may read it and have it clearly given to him so that he may run with it. The message that I'm about to give you, Habakkuk, and the message that I'm about to give you, because of Habakkuk's word, you, uh, we are to actually read it and share it with others. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end, it shall speak and not lie. And it's a point in time, literally, he's telling how God, he goes, this is going to happen. And though it tarry, wait for it because it will surely come. So he's, he's now jumping us into the future as we know that the prophets do. Sometimes they would be telling of things that were impending and about to happen, something that's happening right now, a word of knowledge for the king that was presiding at the time. But then at the moment, the Lord would then take them even sometimes in mid-sentence or vision and bring them into a future yet date even for you and I. And that is what is happening here because this is talking about the coming of the Messiah, the second coming. And we've been waiting for some 2,000 years. You know, the Lord came a first time, but there's a second coming and we're waiting for that second coming. The words that the Lord spoke here, it is 
to encourage you. And it's to encourage me to stir our hearts in the word of the Lord that he says, I'm going to keep my word. I am coming. And uh, I don't know if you've ever faced this, but when you start talking about the Lord coming back in the end times and things like this, I've had many people say, Annie, they've been saying that for 2,000 years. The first church, the early church, they thought that he was coming in their day. Kind of like, slow your roll, girl. Like, calm down. Why do you always want to talk about this? Because Peter said that in the last days, listen, scoffers would say, where is the day of his coming? Nothing has changed. And they mock and they ridicule. And Peter said they are willingly ignorant. That those that were literally killed in the flood before, uh, you know, in the days of Noah, the, all the people destroyed. The prophet of God was sitting there building this ark in the middle of, of land. It had never rained before. And he's talking about this thing that's about to come in the judgment and to come into the ark where there's salvation, where you'll be spared and you'll be saved. And he's preaching to them for some 120 years and not any of them listened. They were willfully ignorant, even though they knew. And um, I, I read this recently. I like this. Noah was a conspiracy theorist. Then it started to rain. A day is as a thousand years to the Lord and a thousand years is as a day, Peter said. Peter said, God is not slack concerning his promises as some consider him and counts slackness. He is faithful to us. And this is why he has waited for what it, to us is 2,000 years, for him two days, uh, because God is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. So it's for those who are, who are waiting and lingering and trying to have one foot in the world and have never known that first love. He's pursuing, he's sending out his prophets. He's filling them with his word and with his spirit to bring this word, to warn them, to say, come into the ark before it's too late. God is patient and he's waiting for the complete fruit to come into harvest. But the day of judgment when it's too late is coming. Then Habakkuk writes, this is awesome. And this is in the Old Testament. The just shall live by faith. And that is a word for you. What do I do, Annie? Where do I go? Where's the information to get? I'm, do I listen here? What are we supposed to do? The word of God is what is telling us what to do. That orchestrates the, the steps of the righteous. So as we're going in the word, he's telling us here, faith. You need to live in faith. This is, this is Habakkuk is hearing about all the things that are going to come on the people of God and who God is going to use. And he's speaking, the just shall live by faith. And he speaks it to you and I. He says, I want you, we got to remember in verse 14 in Habakkuk, he says, a day that is coming for the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as waters cover the sea. So we look at the earth and we see the corruption that man has brought. And you think, where can I escape? I have many who are saying, where can we go? We gotta get off grid. Maybe we go to Alaska, what do we? And it's like, there's nowhere to escape. You, you can't escape this, this day that is coming. The way that you escape is, is through salvation and standing firm and fast in your faith. Hmm. But one day, the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, just as the waters cover the sea. Habakkuk goes on to describe the great day of the wrath 
of the Almighty God. And it talks about, in quote, he's going to smite the heathen. So that is not talking about you and me. We're not appointed to God's wrath. But the desolation, it's described as God's judgment comes upon the earth that has rejected their maker. And Habakkuk ends with faith. You and I need to start to stir up our faith. And you say, how do we do this? Habakkuk shows us because we need to do the same thing now. And as things continue to multiply and that wrath of the dragon starts being poured out and we start seeing it more and putting the pieces together in these end times, you need to know how to do this. Now listen to these words as we close. Habakkuk, he says, although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vine. The labor of the olive shall fail and the fields shall yield no meal. The flock shall be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls. So he's describing famine here. And we know that famine comes in the end times. I do not think, I think we'll see a little bit of that now, but it's gonna, we're going to get to a different place. There's going to be peace. That's a fake peace that comes on the earth. Answers will be given to all of us. And it's going to seem like, you know, Shangri-La for a moment. But the famine will come. It's talked about and described throughout the word of God. And, and here Habakkuk is talking about it. And with him knowing as a prophet of God that these things are going to come to pass even in his time. Listen to what he says. In spite of all of this, in spite of all of this, I will rejoice. I will rejoice. And the word in the original language here is actually leap for joy. I will rejoice. In spite of all of this, I will rejoice in the Lord, in the Lord, not in famine, not in judgment. Some people think you have to be uh, thankful for everything. Well, no, I am not thankful for famines and judgment and things like this. But the Lord says, he says, you got to be, I, I will, listen, Habakkuk, I will joy in the God of my salvation. And you know, the word joy here actually means to spin around. It means to spin. There's a, there's a physical reaction. There's a, there's a faith that takes a step and actually moves. It does something. It's not just, you know, kind of this, we've got faith, keep the faith, keep the faith. You know, it, it does and, and it believes and it acts accordingly to spin around under a great emotion such as joy, joy. Why? Not for famine, not for judgment, and yes, your heart can be broken, just like Jeremiah weeping over the state of the things that he saw around him at the time. And our heart is broken. We're sad. We're, we're watching the things that are happening on the planet now. And it does. It breaks your heart with God. But ultimately, you have to have that long game in view, that long vision that the Lord has given to us. You ultimately have to look to the Lord and know his ultimate plan will come to fruition. He cannot be stopped that he is moving, that he is working in your day and in mine now. And he has his eternal plan that will come to its complete fruition at its appointed time. And he is, he's literally, he's saying again, rejoice, have joy in your salvation, in your salvation, even declare it now. God is my strength, Habakkuk says. God is my strength. When you start to feel the enemy start to pull and all the things that are going on around you and you feel that atmosphere because you're sensitive to the things of the Lord and what is going on, to the move of God and also the move of the enemy and you feel these things going on, you're putting these pieces together. This is what you must do. You must proclaim and declare out loud, God is my strength like Habakkuk did. 
because your strength is limited. So if you're depending on that, there is a place where it runs out, but God who is eternal, his strength never runs out. He says, literally, he goes, I will make my feet like hinds feet, like a deer and make me walk upon high places. This is what the Lord is going to do. When you start to apply what Habakkuk did in his day and the calamities that he saw coming, but also the move of God in his day, even to the end of time where the millennial reign was about to start, he sees all of these things. How can one man bear this in his heart, in his emotions, in his mind, in caring about the people around him? This is how he does it. This is how you and I are going to actually be the children of God who are revealed in these last days. This was actually a song that was supposed to be sung with, um, uh, you know, like the stringed instruments. So, so it's a mindset. It's a lifestyle. It's a way that you walk and you move and you think. And when you start to feel that go and shift or be distracted or look the other way, we got to come right back to this. Sometimes you got to physically shake yourself up and yeah, look a little crazy. But I've told you before that those people at the football games where their shirts are off and their big fat bellies are out and they painted them different colors and they're screaming with beer in their hand over a football ball game, you and I need to start to learn how to be bold in our faith because these are the days of Elijah where you're walking on Embarcadero and you're praying out loud. Oh, the terror. To bring the good news, to stir your faith up, to proclaim out loud, to spin around with joy. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. I will have joy in him. He will make my feet like deer's feet. And you need deer's feet for mountains, for precarious situations that you wouldn't be able to possibly stand. A place of escape, a way, the right path, up things that are insurmountable on your own. And he radically changes you so you can actually scale what otherwise would be impossible to the high places where God is. So Heavenly Father, we just thank you and we praise you for these words that even though they're ancient, they are alive, they are applicable to us today. Lord God, let us apply the, um, what, what Habakkuk is showing us right now, that we would be men and women of faith, Lord God, that you would start to um, burn those things away still even yet and bring us back to that first love where we're on fire, where we're fervent, where we are not ashamed of the gospel and the spirit of Elijah comes upon us, Lord God, and we're prepared for what you have for us and we are not in fear even though we know what will eventually come. We know beyond that you are seated on the throne, Lord God, that you are in control, that you are working all things together, that we are not appointed to the wrath of God, Lord. But at this time, we have assignments, we have destiny, and we have purpose written over us, and we need to know what that is, and then we need to walk boldly in that so that the fruit, when you come and you inspect it in our lives, is to your glory, to your praise, and to your honor. And we are very distinguishable between the tares and the wheat, Lord God. We would be bowed over, bowed over with much, much fruit for you, for your glory, for your honor, for your kingdom, for your name's sake. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. So uh, homework this week is to finish um, Jeremiah starting at 18 and read all the way through the rest of the book. And I look forward to seeing you next week.